You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What time is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Welcome to October, dear listeners. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. Close bosom friend of the maturing sun. Inspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the patch eaves run. And with the turning of the seasons, uh, we of course transfer our sporting allegiances from the GA Championship to the Pro 14, from Wimbledon and the golfing majors to the Premier League. Hello and welcome to the Second Campus Podcast. It's Ken and I hosting today. <laughs> and Ken, I know that maybe the Pro 14 isn't your cup of tea, but there's uh, there's plenty there for you if you just know how uh, where to look. Yeah. An interesting style you've adopted today. You remind me a bit of... Um Bart's people. No, the Nazi priest who, who used to broadcast <laughs> in the 1930s America, Father Coughlin. Father Coughlin? Was he, he wasn't an actual ordained priest. Oh, he, he was, yeah. He was, he was a priest, all right. And uh, he was a, he was a sort of a, had certain... Mm. I get that a lot. Guard ladies. or priest. It turns <laughs> out, you city folk, any time a country person tidies up their act as well, but you either sound like a guard or a priest. Either way, Ken, I was talking to you about the Pro 14. Yeah. They've added uh, two South African teams... For this year's league, yeah. don't know if you've. I heard something about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds it seems like a bit of a long trip. Well, listen, there are ways to entertain yourself on long trips such as this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of a man called Scott Baldwin, but he's a hooker for the Ospreys, uh, Welsh regional team. Yes. While on a day off at a nature reserve in Bloemfontein last week, he decided it would be a very good idea to pet a lion on the lion's head. That, Ked. I saw the video of this. It's the sound of a lion biting an extremely silly man on the hand. What? I've no idea what is going through somebody's head when mm. they're. Obviously, what's going through their head is, oh, cute. This is a cat, like a big cat, furry mane. Hmm. Mm. I'll just reach my hand through the bars here onto the top of this enormous cat's head hmm. where it can't see that it's going to look up 
It's going to see the hand and it's going to like a, you could hear the jaw snap shut there. <laughs> actually, like there's, a there's a bit more of the clip there. And it's actually, if you listen to like 10 seconds of the line growling menacingly, yeah. followed by the, ah, then yeah. it's actually quite scary. Just but if the, you just play the, the man uh, recoiling in agony, I mean, I should say that Scott Baldwin is fine. He needed quite a few stitches to a you know massive gaping wound in his hand, but I mean he's yeah. he's fine. The, you hear that kind of deep uh, rumbling that that a lion can make. You, can't yeah. remember, you have to remember it's an enormous and incredibly powerful animal that can. It's a killing machine. He, he is pretty lucky still to have a hand. Yes, I mean it's, it's it, in ways it's kind of hard to think of how you could be bitten by a lion and still have a hand at the end of it. Yeah. In ways, I mean it, it's like. <laughs> and it would be such a terrible thing to happen, not only because you would have lost the hand, but also because of how you'd have to explain it to people mm. for the rest of your life. Sorry, what did you say happened to you? You know, it would be um, it would be a tough one to <laughs> yeah, have to, to live well. with. Anyway, don't ever tell me the Pro 14 is entertaining, Ken. Uh, we'll be dealing with those two twin imposters of success and failure on today's show as we talk to the new British Masters champion, Paul Dunn, 24 hours after his first win on the European Tour, and Lee Keegan. Uh, Mayo footballer Lee Keegan on getting over another Ireland final defeat with his Mayo teammates. Uh, there are ways, I suppose, Ken, mm-hmm. to win your first European Tour event. Most of the time, it probably involves you nervously falling over the line on a nerve-jangling final day, at the end of which you'll be able to say, right, I've done it, I can relax next time I'm in this situation, maybe even play some golf next time, you know, enjoy yeah. myself. That's not how Paul Dunn rolls. What a shot, what a shot, go in! And his uh, compatriot Shane Lowry uh, standing by on the uh, 18th screen to celebrate with him. So we'll be talking to Paul in a few minutes. But uh, I know, Ken, you'll be very interested in our chat with uh, Lee Keegan. Bet Noir, of course, of your beloved Dermo. Uh, well, look, <laughs> I will, I, I, I'm glad to get the opportunity to speak to Lee, especially about... Um, the war for the soul for of Gaelic football, which is, which has been going on recently. Uh, I know Paul Cambridge certainly hadn't been imp- impressed by what he'd seen from Dublin in the last few minutes of the game, and uh, I do wonder how it feels to be on the receiving end of that of these shameful types of tactics that were employed by my county, my team, um, and indeed by Lee's county. And by Lee. All right, it's promo time, Ken. If you were a World Service member, then you wouldn't have to listen to this. But you aren't. So here goes. I'm having a buzz flowing around. Anyone want to not give me a shell? Six million ways to die. Choose one. I don't like the name him because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it was a daft. This was a dig at football people who know the game. Using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes ears and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls and the stones. Have a proper debate. Look to debate him. You could sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack. Don't forget. Mm. And has been for some time without naming people. He, he mentioned pundits. Mm. Well, who are the football pundits? <laughs> 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 
I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have you just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. So, if you join up to the World Service, you get to hear all of last week's shows, which included US Murphs, the return of an old favourite. Administrator of the Week. A Champions League football show special, and an incredibly powerful chat with Jeff Assel's daughter, Dawn, uh, after Kevin Doyle revealed the reasons behind his retirement were a succession of concussions which he suffered in uh, recent months. What was so dreadful is, in the last stages of my dad's life, when he couldn't recognise me or my sisters, um, he, was, he would lie in the settee, he, he wouldn't speak, he wouldn't ask for a drink, he wouldn't ask for food, he'd starve to death or die at first, uh, and you had to give him a, a drink in a baby beaker because his hands would shake so violently, and yet he was surrounded by everything he'd won in the game, an FA Cup winner's medal, a League Cup winner's medal, England caps, everything football gave my dad took away because he remembered none of it you also get no more of these annoying ads you get your podcast before everyone else on mondays you get first call on live show tickets and you get to listen to all upcoming shows including ken's political podcasts brand new players share interviews with richie sadler and all the rest plus if you're not a member you're missing loads of my little bullshit sayings as well quiet priest never got a parish on so uh go to secondcaptains.com and join for just five euro months plus fat and support independent commercial-free broadcasting. Okay, I think it's time to catch up with the new British Masters champion, Paul Dunn. Paul, thanks a million for joining us. That was quite a day yesterday. Yeah, you know, it was brilliant. Um, I was just, it was one of those things, I woke up in the morning and I'd been up there quite a bit this year, um, but I hadn't managed to get the job done. So it was one of the things, I just told myself when I woke up to go out and try win the tournament rather than try to help other people hand it to you, you know, just kind of take the bull by the horns and... Um, yeah, I got off to a quick start, which was great. You know, it's what I needed in a bunch leaderboard like that. And I had a great mindset for the day, really, to just keep pushing on and making birdies and get as far in front as I could. Yeah, I actually, I saw that quote um, this morning in one of the papers uh, about going out and winning it yourself, not having someone hand it to you. And, you know, when people win their first tour event, oftentimes it's a bit nervy, it's a bit of a grueler. Uh, but that wasn't the case yesterday. I mean, to go out and shoot 61, no one's shot lower this year on any tour uh, and went on to win the to win the tournament. So, I mean, it's it's an extraordinary way to to, to get off the mark. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you couldn't script it. You know, I, I had the breaks go my way as well, which which you need, I, I think, to get over the line. You know, obviously, I had the, the shot on 11 at this break. Um, once I got in front, I never let anyone really get close enough to threaten me too much. Apart from Rory near the end, but he was birdie in nearly every hole coming home. So I still knew if I didn't make any bogeys that I'd be difficult to catch. So, yeah, you know, it was just a just a great day. Everything was on. I put it well. I hit the ball nicely and I got up and down when I needed to. So I was chuffed. Yeah. How aware of Rory's challenge were you? Were you checking the, the leaderboard? Yeah, yeah. There's no leaderboard. I was checking them the whole way around. I knew, I knew after nine that I had a three-shot lead. I was 16 under and... Rory was 13. There's a couple on 13, um, but I still thought it, if I if I stayed at 16, I probably wouldn't win because I knew there was chances coming in. And 
if there was five people on 13 under, that one of them was going to play a good back nine. So I just tried to concentrate on birdie in the 13th, the par five that I could reach to, try to pick up another birdie and make no mistake. And I knew then if I did that, someone would have to shoot five under on the back nine to catch me, which is a tough ask. So Rory was the one then to make a, a late move, which obviously you see his name on the leaderboard and a bit of presence comes with it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'll never forget it. Uh, holding off the likes of Rory McIlroy for my first win is pretty memorable. Yeah, yeah. You used the word presence there. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe it's different even for Irish golfers and Irish golf fans that we've been watching Rory for so long. We know just how good he is. I mean, in- intimidation was going to be the word that I used, but presence, I suppose, is a better way of putting it. Uh, that you know, you you know, you, you can't just kind of uh, water ski the la- uh, you know in for the last three or four holes and just relax. That he was always going to be pressing you. Yeah, but to be honest with you, it kind of helped the fact that it was him because if it was someone else that was two or three shots behind in my head, I'd be thinking maybe they'll make a move, maybe they won't make a move. And, but because it was Rory's name behind me, I just knew he was going to make a few birdies coming in. It's kind of who he is. So when I when I was in, in my head, I was so sure that. He was going to make a run at me. Also, kind of helped me have a clear mindset that I needed to make a couple of birdies myself. So I knew paring my way in was going to be good enough. But yet, if it was someone else up there, maybe I'd have thought, ah, pars will be fine for the rest of the way and I'll, I'll cruise in. But yeah, so I think that helped because it was Rory, it kind of helped refocus me and make me try birdie my way in rather than playing too conservatively. Yeah, and uh, nothing conservative about the way you won, went and won the thing. The chip in at the last is like that's uh, kind of uh, fairy tale stuff, really. You're you're into the 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 realms of like dreamland, I I think, when you hold off Rory McIlroy and then chip in on the last to win by three strokes. I know, yeah, Asher. Uh, sure. It was one of those things. The last, the first three rounds, I made one bogey in each of the three rounds, and they were both all three bogeys were. Like bogeys, I should never have made. So I should have, like in my head, I should have been bogey free for the tournament up to then. Yeah. And then I was bogey free coming down the last as well. So I knew I had a bogey to win, but part of me just wanted to to not make a bogey. You know, I just yeah, wanted yeah. to have one bogey free round because I felt like I played where I should have had four. I didn't want to let another one slip. So yeah, to be able to when I missed the green on 18, to be able to you know I, well, get it up and down or chip it in was really satisfying. Yeah, how was uh, how was last night? Were there many family and friends over supporting you, or did, did or did some people fly over just for the party afterwards? Um, no, I drove up to St Andrews because I'm playing the Dunhill this week. So Shane Lowry waited around for me, he gave me a lift up, um, which was very nice. So I drove up with my caddy Darren and Shane. Wow. Um, and then we went out. We went out for a few beers with a couple other of the Irish golfers and caddies. So Harrington came out and um, some of the other Irish caddies. You know, it was quite enough night. Not much happening on a Sunday evening, but yeah, it was it was a great night. I was really grateful to have you know all the other Irish contingent up there to celebrate with me. And um, but I woke up this morning and I felt better than I did when I woke up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean th- that's amazing. Like I have such delight uh, amongst kind of the Irish golfing fraternity on tour for you as well, and for that to for you to get get to share uh, that winning experience with all of those. Uh, kind of heads on tour that, that you've gotten to know probably over the last two years. That must have been pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And this time of year is great for me because I have the likes of Shane and Podrick uh, are back playing in Europe and they spend a lot of time uh, the rest of the year playing in America. So there's more Irish on tour this time of year than earlier in the year, which is great for me. You know, good company. 
so you know everyone kind of roots each other on everyone wants to win themselves but if they can't win it's nice to see another Irishman do it so yeah no they've been great for me uh, in terms of support and helping me ever since they turned pro great um, so I'm really great really grateful for that um, and I've got my brother just arrived up though he's up for the week and my parents are coming over on the weekend so it'll be, be a nice week up in St Andrews I've got plenty of family around Brilliant, yeah. Um, I mean, the journey from the the British Open in St Andrews in 2015 to now, it's fair to share. F- fair to say that it's had its its ups and downs. Uh, you know, leading the Open, going into the la- the the last round, uh, turning pro after winning the Walker Cup. I mean, but it hasn't always been plain sailing from from that moment to to today. No, well, I mean, it was. It was I put it this way: I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, I managed to get through Q school first go, which is a big relief, you know, I didn't have to battle out on a mini tour or a challenge tour for a few years, so I got straight out. And then last year was more of a battle to keep my card than anything else. But I think during that time, I learned a lot about my, myself and my game, especially mentally, you know, about how to basically get in the right mindset to play well on the weekend, you know, when I came down to payday, because that was really important for me to finish as high as I could every time I got to the weekend last year to try to keep my card. So... I think everything has been a bit of a learning curve and then my game's gradually developed and mentally I've got a lot stronger. So I, I think I've, I've gradually built up and I wouldn't change it for anything, you know, because I still feel like I'm standing upwards and hopefully I can continue like that and get a few more wins before the next few years are out. Yeah, uh, like that's the, the, the learning curve of last year. Do you think it was like adapting to the lifestyle of tour or was it just just the the step up in quality of players that you were playing against or was it kind of a combination of all of that stuff? I think it was more adapting to the life of tour, understanding what it's all about. You know, obviously the travel is quite intense. The golf is intense as well. Like the, the volume of golf you play is, is, you do more playing and less practicing than you do as an amateur because there's more events. You're always playing an event. Um, and as an amateur, I seem to have two weeks between every tournament I played. So that was one thing, kind of learning that, how to deal with it, when to rest, when to put the work in, and how to go about, about it in a smart way, really. And then also just kind of learning the tour, you know, what, what needs to be done well to compete. You can only learn it from experience. Uh, and now the aim must be to get into the top 100 and just try and stay there. I mean, that's a huge psychological thing as much as anything else, to be a top 100 player and to to, to start building from there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this tournament will open up doors for me. I don't I don't know exactly what doors, to be honest, because I was, I was too busy having a few points last night <laughs> oh, to, to look into the details of it. But... Um, I know it gets me in this World Golf Championship in China in a few weeks. That'll be my first World Golf Championship. It's really exciting for me. I think it also gets me to maybe Firestone next year. Yeah, so there might be other opportunities there for me, but it gets me in the big events that I want to be playing in, you know. So every step forward is a step in the right direction. So I'm just going to keep going about my business and try and move forward. Well, listen, congratulations again on uh, yesterday. An absolutely brilliant victory. Paul Dunn, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Cheers. Randolph sends it long. That's his kind of size. Shane Long. And Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer. Stellungsfehler. Hector. Oh, and that's the score. Die Ehren führen mit 1-0 in the 70th minute. Magic 
magnifique porté par un public en liesse l'Irlande peut croire à l'exploit grâce à son super sub Shane Long Shane Long Ken, are you a little surprised at how chummy all these uh, Irish golfers are with you? I mean, Paul Dunn stole a lot of money off Rory McIlroy and Shane Lowry yesterday. That's why I'd be looking at this. Stole? Yeah. S- strong words. Took took that money won. out of my pocket. He won a lot of money off Well, them. listen, you say tomato, Ken. <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised that they're that they're friendly. I don't I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. Uh, How they be? Ruby Walsh was talking once. I've seen. Oh, I've no, I, I obviously agree entirely. But <laughs> Ruby Walsh was talking once about uh, golfers. He was. I just don't get it. You know, the best of them only win five times a year. Like the rest of them are just happy to win like one tournament, two tournaments a year. Like what the hell is wrong with these people? You know. Mm. Uh, I suppose it is a little bit more difficult to beat. You know, a high quality field of over a hundred of your peers every time, as opposed to maybe seven or eight. Which well, is, well, winning is defined differently, though. I mean, you can you can do well in a tournament and not win it. I mean, I mean, it's not like either you win the tournament or the tournament is a failure. I don't, I don't accept that's the way it is in, in Certainly golf. Given the amount of vast amounts of money you can earn without ever winning a tournament, again. I mean, it, it probably is that way for jockeys and in individual horse races. But it's a good thing they've got so many of them. And if they, seven a day, for instance, as opposed to one every week. If it was just one one big race a week with you know 150 people involved, then maybe they would structure <laughs> it Ru- differently as well. Yeah, I think Ruby's thoughts on the thing would would adapt slightly to the circumstance. But even there, the the jockeys seem to be seem to be quite close. I guess I've given. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I only know what I've seen in, like, Luke McManus's documentary about jockeys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about jockeys. Why am I even talking about them? But no, they, they seem to get on quite well, notwithstanding the constant rivalry, largely as a result of spending so much time in each other's company half-naked. Mm. You know, it just um, it breaks down the boundaries between men. Has an impact. Right, time to talk to you, defender slash rampant Mayo goal wizard, Lee Keegan. <laughs> to get his hands on the trophy later on. He's done well against Ian O'Sullivan. He lays it off here. Keegan! Goal! Goal! Oh, yes! 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 All right, uh, reigning player of the year for another few weeks at least. Anyway, Lee Keegan is on the line. Lee, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks a million for having us, Kieran. It's nice to be talking to you. Yeah, uh, how have the last few weeks been? Uh, uh, how has this year compared to, to last year's disappointment? Um, well, unfortunately, the same result, anyway, um, which is probably the most unfortunate, I have to say. Um, this year, probably more so because uh, I think we did everything nearly right to, to win it. Um, the last few weeks are probably more reflection and what ifs and what's maybe's, but the reality is that uh, the cup stays in the capital for another year, and that's just the that's just the nature of sport. It's it, it can be cruel, it can be brilliant, but unfortunately uh, we're on on part of the cruel side after what was probably one of our most uh, roller coaster seasons in a long time. So um, yeah, it's been tough. Listen, you're in a bubble for so long during the year, and when it bursts, you think, well, how am I going to fill the void for the next couple of months in the winter? But listen, I said life has to go on. You have to go back to your jobs, your family, your friends, and. I suppose that's just the way it is. Life, life has to move on one way or another, whether you like it or not. 
Yeah. Uh, I wonder, is it much of a consolation how well you, you all played, you in particular, but how well the team in general played? People kind of say that, you know, the performance looks, takes, you know, and to, if mm-hmm. you get the performance right, the result often takes care of itself. I mean, th- this was Mayo's greatest performance in an Ireland final, certainly since 1951, I would wager. Yeah. And it just, it, 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 didn't, it didn't quite fall for you. No, uh, and uh, you know, if you told me for the game that we'd score one sixteen, you know, I, I would have probably bit your hand off and say we're going to win the game, um, which is a huge tally. But the other side of it is we can see the one seventeen, which is you know, which is you have to give credit to Dublin because when the chips are down and things are going well for them, they still stuck to the process. Jim Gavin trusts his troops immensely, which is which is a serious compliment to himself because as he didn't change too many the the backs when we were going well, and he just showed the trust he has. But um, it was definitely one of our. Be- probably better performance in All-Ireland which again it shows how well we play but again you have to credit Dublin they stuck at it and unfortunately they, they got the results which we didn't as well as we did play and um, that's just a testament to a great team as well As we, we knew how well we played we knew how well we had to play we targeted that for weeks before the final and if you, I said you told me we would play that well and we would have got maybe 8 out of 10 ratings for each guy and the final which we did I thought we win the game all day but again as I said testament to Dublin it's just a sign of a great team and they just, when they said when the chips are down, they just find the score that they needed to get them over the line or you know, a big play or something like that. So that's just a credit to the team they have at the moment. Or or some cynical tactics. Eh? I mean, this is the interesting thing about it from my point of view. Following the, the reaction, I can't remember an, an All-Ireland final where there has been kind of such a long aftermath of criticism for the winning side. Uh, I mean, I've, there's a couple of high-profile journalists, people like uh, Vincent Hogan or Paul Kimmich have drawn attention to the... <laughs> To the the fouling mm-hmm. in the uh, you know at the end, yeah. uh, which was obviously kind of deliberate and orchestrated and designed to kill the game, and saying that this is a level of cynicism which is unacceptable. I, I wonder how it felt to be on the receiving end. It's very to be honest. It's very hard the time to actually notice what's going on. You're so in, you're so engrossed by what's going on in the game, and you're thinking, right, we're just have to go to point down. We just need our hands on the ball. But I suppose in terms of cynicism, it, it goes on in every every team. You know, People are talking about the final as in been very cynical. I, I've been involved in more games that were cynical than that, to be honest. Um, as I said, I've heard a few players come out saying it, it is win at all costs and maybe it's not the right attitude take or the wrong lines to, the right lines to be saying, but the reality is if no one really cares who, who's on the receiving end of it as long as you're, the other team are winning it. And in terms of that, as I said, Dublin were the team that maybe use a few tactics. Like We all use them ourselves and that's just the reality Yeah, like at the moment. Every team is trying to, try to do something an opposition team is not doing so. In terms of that, it's probably it's probably not the way the All Ireland should be talked about. For me, anyway, obviously at this point it is. Um, I thought it was an absolute brilliant All Ireland to be part of in terms of the quality of play and intensity of the final. And I have to be honest, it totally lived up to its building of the two best teams in the country that went toe to toe for 70, 70 plus minutes. And as everyone said, it was only kick a ball that was within it, and it was right. And I said the Dublin came out on the right side of it, regardless of what they used or didn't use they were the winners and that's what everyone should be talking about is how good the game was and how good the champions were to obviously not firstly beat us but to do the three in a row which is for me is just an awesome achievement from a team like that in this in this generation anyway yeah and you know the, the one thing that's kind of struck me about the reaction has been this idea that it's on players to set the parameters of what you know constitutes cynical player not cynical player surely it's the 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 game and the like the GA in this case in this case set the rules and set the parameters of what is and isn't yeah. acceptable and the punishment for unacceptable behaviour and players 
act within that. So this idea that you criticise yeah, yeah. Mayo or you criticise Dublin for during the yeah. year as well that we're, we're 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 talking too many we're talking too much about incidents and we're not talking about the quality of games that maybe this year we've haven't had as many. But again, in terms of standard of football, there's been some brilliant games during the year in terms of qualifiers. I know the provincial route's been pretty. I suppose you know similar to the last couple of years, there's been a few hammerings. But like in terms of the football. Like I think we take away too much from the football and talk too much about incidents and what's going on and this. As again, you said there, there should be a parameter set and if you go outside that rule and the referee deems it, then he should take action or someone should take action and that's just the end of it. Then we're, I, I'd rather be talking about the football side of things rather than the whole different incidents and reflections of what he shouldn't have done or should have done. As you said there, there probably has to be a precinct set in terms of the right players know the, the limits. Of course, you're always going to test the limits because that's top teams of uh, all facets of sport. And I'd be, I'd be kind of against saying that the course teams are going to just push the limits to the exact. And if you cross the limit that bit much, then of course, there has to be maybe a punishment or two. But again, I, I love to be talking about, say, the semi-finals that we had maybe ourselves and Kerry or the final we played against Dublin. I thought they were off a massive standard for Gaelic football and... Um, that's maybe my own that's my own take on any of it I said you're saying the parameters maybe they should be set out early in the year next year and just lay down maybe a firmer law I appreciate what you're saying Lee about, about wanting to talk about the football but you know having given so much you know having done so much having got so close does it yeah. actually from from a player's point of view I, I know you said on the field you, you don't really mm-hmm. notice what's what's happening you know around you but obviously you, you know by now what was what was going on in there does it make it worse to have to have lost to a team that did that, or do you, as a player, feel, look, if I'd been them, I would have done the same thing, and you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, well, um, I suppose you know you're going to try and negate any way possible for a team to come back in. So obviously, when Dean Rock kicked that last three to win it, Dublin tactic was, listen, we need to throw these guys guys out as quick as possible because we have we have the the talent, and the team to go up and score within a few seconds. So Dublin obviously recognised that as a threat and a danger to themselves. So. Yeah, obviously it's unfortunate it happened to us. Would we have done it? I don't, I don't know because we weren't in that position to do it, which is unfortunate because I'd love to have been and just see how we reacted to close out the game was another thing. Again, I don't know what we would have done. Maybe similar, maybe not. That's the question. I, I can't answer it because we, we weren't on that side of it, unfortunately. And I, I wish we were talking about that maybe, but we're not. We're talking about Dublin doing it and Dublin winning that. And that's, that's been the that's been the similar outcome for the last couple of years, which is just something we have to try and rectify and put ourselves in a position where what would we do to win a game? So are you saying to me that if I offered you an alternative reality right now in which the GPS uh, that you threw at Dean Rock had successfully managed to distract him and he had missed and you had become a national villain, you know, pilloried at all the newspapers, Lee Keegan, a disgrace to getting football, by the way, Dublin Mayor replay uh, coming up, would you trade where you are now for that? Not necessarily. I'm saying we have to put ourselves in that position to do it and we weren't. That's the thing I'm saying. I, I can't go around saying I, if I had this option, I'd take it. We we didn't have the option, and that's the thing. I can't answer that question at the moment because we just haven't been in that position where, right, we're a point up into the final play in the final minute of the game, what we've done. I, I don't know. I can't answer that question straight up myself. Your, uh, your own year, I mean, you gave two absolute masterclasses in the art of man-marking in the drawn game against Roscommon and then against Dublin <laughs> in, in, in versus Dublin against Kieran Kilkenny. Do you do you prefer that? Do you prefer being given like one specific task to just completely nullify a player on the opposing team as opposed to sort of going out and taking a game on its merits and and playing it that way? Yeah, I, I suppose after the last couple of years, I've been I suppose designated to mark some of their best players on each team. So it's 
it's probably a good thing from a trust point of view for management to me and for me any personally I, I think um I thrive in that because it's a compliment that uh, said the management trusts me to make the best player or one of their best players, but then it's the quality I have to show and try and, and negate them and um yeah, it's something I enjoy doing. Maybe it takes away a bit, bit of my attack and play a bit more during the game in normal time, but I said I'm known as a defender, so if I'm asked to man mark somebody and I nullify them to the best of my ability, then I'm doing something right. So um, as I said, I've done pretty well over the last couple of years in negating some of the big players in big games, but again, it's the guys that are around me that are slow and I suppose the team's in and to give me that chance to, I suppose, stop, stop, stop some of their best players at the moment. But yeah, it's definitely a role I've become a bit, bit accustomed to and something I enjoy doing because it's always a good satisfaction when you can nullify uh, a player of the likes of Kieran Kenny or, uh, as I said, and then the Smith was having that and standing here for us, Cameron. So to have that, it's it's uh, definitely something I'd be uh, very happy with myself. And uh, as I said, it's great to see American some of these guys out there because they're some of the best players in the country. Yeah, and weirdly, you got goals in both those games. I mean, it, it kind of seems to have like an energising effect on you in some ways, that this idea that okay, I've I've shut him down, and now I'm going to bring him to places where he doesn't want to go on the back of mm-hmm. on the back on the back of the fact that I'm bullying him up uh, his end of the field. Yeah, and I was lucky enough that Andy Warren was doing so well, and uh, a few weeks ago that I he was able to, I was able to make maybe one or two runs a half, and you know I was looking enough to get the receiving end of a pass from Andy to put in the net, but. I said that that might happen another game, maybe another game I just get a license to attack. But um, yeah, I said it's something I, I've been kind of concentrating on where I, I suppose the forward loves to be playing in his own position just to take him out of his comfort zone and see if how he adapts or see if he likes it. Something I like to do to a lot of players. And you know, some forwards recognise that and you know, they try and bring the apps away, maybe into the full forward line to take you away. But I said Kevin McStay recognised that in the first common game straight away from the first half that. I was doing well going forward, but he recognised that if he brought me close to my own goal, that that took away from me attacking, which is which is clever on his part. But again, it's not about me attacking; it's about me man marking. And I, again, I was lucky enough to be on the receiving end of scoring a goal in each final. But I'd rather be talking about scoring a goal, winning the game, than than losing, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, Stephen Rochford's future is still uh, up in the air. He still hasn't confirmed that he's going to come back. Would you be very an- anxious that he that he stay on? And in, and in fact, this the squad that we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago in Crow Park that 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 squad in its entirety, would stay on for another year? Yeah, I'd be very confident Stephen stays on. Um, I think he's done a great job over the last couple of years, so um, I'd be confident enough that he, he will be staying on his reign for another year. Um, as I said, you heard Andy Moore during the week that he's committing to another year. Again, he's only getting better at age, which is which I'd love to have his attitude. <laughs> I think some of us think we're slowing down, but watching mm-hmm. Andy now, he gives us a new lease of life. But I know, in terms of talking to the guys over the last, I suppose, week and a half or so, the consensus is that our lads are going to wait on, and, you know, I said we're, we're that close and you know get a few months off now to reassess ourselves get the bodies right and come back in January and give it another right crack because um, I said we're, we're so close why why should we be stopping now and um, you know we've got a good group of lads there our age profile is pretty good again I'm 28 a lot of lads are around the same age 27 and bits like that so there's plenty left le- left in the legs um, I said if we get a few months off now and just, just get the bodies right get, get away from the get over the club scene now this weekend in the next couple of weeks and just rest up recharge and get that kind of freshness and enthusiasm back again I said listen to Andy talk during the week it was it was refreshing to hear how much he wants to come back and play again next year so uh, again that just gives us uh, great great um, enthusiasm and excitement going ahead for the new year and what else we're doing I said that we've the best supporters in the country travelling all around um, <coughs> screaming and shouting us so again to give them the entertainment we did this year we'd love to do the same again next year Great stuff well listen Lee it would have been a pretty dull uh, championship 2016 without uh, all the ups and downs throughout the qualifiers so uh, <laughs> congratulations on a great year personally as well and uh, thanks so many for talking thanks to brilliant. us
He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. Who's going to be the man? See who wants Tom Parsons. No, oh. It's going straight to Higgins now from Hill. Comes back with Durkin. Good score, Paddy. Fair play to you. Paddy Durkin. Are off their feet. We're level once more here at Crow Park. It's Kerry 214, Mayo 214. There's a minute, just over a minute left. Blow it up, Brett, blow it up. We need to win this kick out. Come on, Mayo. Come on, Mayo. Come on. It's Kerry 214, Mayo 214. Kelly with kick out. Who's going to win it? Who's going to be the man? See the one. Tom Parsons. No, Tom. It's going straight to Kerry, man. Number six now, Tyg Morley. That's with number eight, David Ford. Tashin has just done it. A mailman's gone tight. No, it's a free for Kerry. A free for Kerry about 50 metres out. Oh, oh, this is heartbreaking. It's a free from Kerry right in the middle of the pitch. He's after taking, he should be going back further. He has stolen a yard or two. Watch him. Yeah. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. We played five minutes, which has been a lot of injury time. Kerry 214. Mayo 214. Kerry to win it with Brian Sheehan. Sheehan, he oh, goes, yes, go wide, keep going wide, go wide, go wide. Is it going out? No, a mailman gets him. It's still in play. That's it's there, full time. Touché. It's all over. Full time. It's all over. We're oh, going to have to do it all over God. again. What a what game. What an absolute thriller. And credit to both sets of players. Credit to them for the effort they gave, for the passion they put into it, for the football they played, for the actual sportsmanship that was there, for the actual scores that they got. That game had everything that you want to see except a Mayo win. So, Lee Keegan, Ken, just another Gaelic footballer, pretty unfazed by the whole cynical play argument being uh, <laughs> promulgated at the moment. Well, look, I I do think that there is a difference. I mean, I, I'm, I'm referring to Paul Kimmage's argument. I heard him. Uh, I mean, he obviously wasn't wasn't impressed by cheating, and it was cheating. Um, and when he was speaking to Luke Fitzgerald, did you did you hear his chat with Luke? Uh, Owen McDevitt listened to it, so I wouldn't have to. <laughs> there was uh, there was a bit in it where I I think he sort of drew an analogy with like the bloodgate thing that happened in yeah. in rugby but i think it's quite different from that and the reason is that that what dublin did was open cheating which they did in the in the full expectation that the referee would punish, punish them. them for it and it wouldn't matter they would take the punishment and the game would be over and they'd have won the all ireland whereas the bloodgate thing was like a secret conspiracy that was never meant to be detected and was meant to sort of subvert the rules. So what Dublin were doing was kind of within the rules. It's comparable to the Suarez um, handball in the World Cup, which I which I was I was at that game, and I remember being so disgusted by it at the time because it it was it did violate every principle of justice. What what he did in that game in that context, Ghana, you know, had played so well. We're going to be the first African team in the semi-finals. Had been the better team in the game. Had effectively scored, and then Suarez stole the goal off them. But he took a red card and gave away a penalty. So he kind of he sacrificed himself, basically according to the mm. rules. I'm I'm going to break the rules, and I'll take everything the rules can throw at me. At this because it's one of those situations where it's actually worth it. Yeah, because they they weighed up the damage done by the infraction being punished and said. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Which automatically means, of course, then that either the punishment has to become stronger, 
well, or that's it. I mean, that's the only option you have is yeah. you increase the punishment so that players, when making that conscious decision, there's nothing that's worth yeah. uh, you know deliberately incurring this punishment for. But that's clearly not the case. You know, I mean, I, I felt in that game, you know, what they did was obviously not the not the sporting thing to do, but you know, it's you can understand why they why they did it, whereas the Bloodgate thing is kind of like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you you guys concocted this whole plan and were like, what? Like, you know, are, are you really, you really went there? Mm. Like, this is this is really bad. So, I mean, there was, you know, there was guys banned for years out of that, which I think was completely fair enough because they should not be allowed near, near sport. Like, I mean, you have to, you have to keep the rules, you know, in order in order for sport to function. Mm. I mean, I think Kieran Shannon wrote a very good article, which Paul Kimmage has been using uh, to back up his own, his own argument, which isn't actually right either, I don't think. But Kieran Shannon was basically making the point that the game has allowed that situation to develop where there's no punishment for that. So let's change the rules. But the idea that you would go slagging off Dublin as cheats because they took advantage of the landscape... I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah. like, Dublin did what they did. That's no problem. But then, you know, it, it's on us as a as the GEA, as an organization, to change it around so that if they try and do it next year, the punishment is so great that they don't do it. Well, what, can, what do you think is a... Well, Kieran Shannon's suggestion was that you, uh, for a, like, cynical killing of the play like that, that there's a 25-meter free given up the other end, Mayo kick the point, and then Mayo get the ball back for the kick out. To well, build that, another. Would, that would uh, that would be a pretty big deterrent. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, but uh, maybe this. Well, this is the sort of thing that shortens the winter down in the <laughs> down in uh, uh, down the countryside outside the pale can. Uh, that's pretty much all we have time for today. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you, Karen. Uh, thanks so for joining us. Owen will be back in situ on the World Service tomorrow. But in the meantime, if you want to join up, go on to secondcaptains.com. If you want to contact us, we're all on Twitter at secondcaptains, and we'll chat to you tomorrow. Bye bye. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 